You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. All right. Uh, Michelle, thanks for joining the Fully Occupied Show. How you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, appreciate you uh, coming on as a guest. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, thank you for having me. My name is Michelle and I'm a principal at Omer's Ventures. We're a multi-stage, uh, multi-sector venture fund uh, with offices in Toronto, the Bay Area and London. We look at deals series A, B and C. Our checks are typically five to 25 million. I spend all of my time looking at real estate technology. So that is residential real estate, commercial real estate, and also construction. So a bit about me is I joined Omer's Ventures uh, just over five years ago, uh, originally in the Toronto office. Uh, I'm Canadian. And uh, at that time I joined as an analyst and uh, was very much a generalist and looked at different themes uh, across technology. And then two years ago, I relocated to move to the Bay Area to help launch our office here. Awesome. With the focus on the commercial real estate sector, if we if we just kind of omitted residential construction and anything else that you look at, like where are you guys seeing the most interesting stuff these days? We're really excited about changes and opportunities around the transaction. So we've seen a lot of change in the past year, specifically around office, uh, as COVID has made impacts on remote work. And people are really rethinking what space do they need? What does the space look like? Where is the space even? And I think through that, if you dig a little bit deeper, some of the reasons why, why we're interested from a venture perspective is there's a lot of areas of commercial real estate where technology we believe can make a big difference. So there's a lot of coordination for a large transaction, uh, which is similar to the residential side. There is a lot of opacity around data. So opaque data related to pricing, availability of spaces. And then finally, I think the third piece is just uh, changing consumer expectations. So in this case, it would be the tenant. And I think as, as technology kind of takes over lots of other areas of our lives, I think the expectation of having a digital experience as you're looking for space, it, I think that will just become um, kind of more and more expected and people will need to adapt. Yeah. So it's kind of almost like the consumerization of the office space search or like the experience like that a tenant has within an office. Are you guys solely focused on like how office tenants think about this stuff or do you take into account like retailers or, you know, uh, healthcare, biotech, industrials, like uh, talk a little bit about the spectrum of the size of this problem from your perspective. Yes. It does come into play in all sectors. So as everyone's looking for space and leasing space, uh, industrial is definitely one that we're hearing a lot about and on the healthcare side as different opportunities emerge. Uh, I think the office is definitely just one that is more top of mind just because of the significant um, changes. And I think what it's 
doing is it's providing almost more opportunity for people to help rethink what space looks like. And, and that really comes down to uh, the role of the broker. And, and certain brokers, they span across not just office, but they're looking at other types of asset classes as well. And I think that it, it really comes down to their role and how that can be improved using technology or, or maybe even expanded as people rely on them further. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you had an awesome, you just wrote an awesome article about this recently. Like, uh, well, I mean, the title was, does the broker have a future in commercial real estate? And, you know, one reading that title might think like, oh, this person thinks brokers are gonna be disrupted, but actually it's kind of to the contrary. Like, how do you see the broker's role already have having been involved evolved in like evolving even further yeah our view is that the broker will not be disrupted and we were we actually find that consistent across other areas of real estate too is uh it's a large transaction it's complex today the data isn't easily available so there is still a a need for a broker our view is potentially the role of the broker could even become larger as we think of advising and offering more opportunities to their clients around different types of spaces. And doing this would require them to use more technology. Right, and from, from my perspective, technology kind of, for the broker serves a couple of purposes. One is it allows them to do their job more effective, right? The better tools that they have, the more access to data, the better workflow experience that they have for themselves, the better they're gonna be at their job. But there's also the idea that they're providing a service to, to clients. And those clients are basing decisions off the information that is presented to them through their broker most of the time, right? Because like a, a tenant isn't necessarily gonna go out and like subscribe to research about real estate when they can rely on their broker to do that. So kind of going back to your thought about like opacity and like the data, data world, like obviously CoStar is the big player in, in the data market. Like what are, what are some of the ways you think that data is going to become more transparent, um, you know, for the broker and on the tenant side, you know, as the transaction starts to evolve kind of coming out of COVID? I agree that CoStar has really been a leader in the data. Like they have a, a large database that a lot of brokers, when I've talked to brokers in the space, uh, most have a CoStar login and it right. is kind of required for their job to get to the data that they need. As other companies emerge, I think what we'll see is more data players that are getting different types of data, maybe data from different sources. And as that happens, then I think that will increase transparency just because there, there's more opportunity for, for more sources. And it could be even data sources that we haven't originally had yet on this side. So it could be pulling in more location data, like you mentioned, or more data on movement of people as people are trying to figure out where even to put offices. But I think we'll start to see more players um, start to kind of take a role in the data. And then that will result in, I, I expect more openness across the whole industry. Yeah. Um, if we drill down like even further into kind of like your thoughts on how like a startup should go to market with unlocking this data, like you, you presented three different kind of um, strategies that you've seen as like an adventure investor looking at business models on behalf of these companies. And, you know, one is go after the landlord first and then, and then have them push the tech to their brokers. The other would be going after the tenant first, which is kind of what we're doing. Um, but also the third being selling directly to brokers, which is also like what we're doing here at Occupier. Um, 
you know, what is, what is like, how, how do all these things converge at the end of the day? Um, because if you think about the transaction, there's players on both sides uh, that are ultimately trying to arrive at like the same kind of end point of a deal. Like what's your prediction for the future on how these things might collide? Yeah, and I think there's great learnings when you look at the residential real estate space of more transparency of data and this movement to creating platforms where all of the parties come together. So on the residential side, you're pulling together on a close, the seller, the buyer, the agent on both sides, title and escrow, mortgage, like all these players also need to interact. And, and we're seeing this movement of platforms trying to streamline that and make it frictionless effectively. I think that on the commercial side, that's still early days. So we're seeing a lot of great solutions emerge around maybe prospecting or designing the space or the data players that we, we talked about or surveys and tours uh, and even managing like the, the actual lease transaction. What we're anticipating or we're, we're hoping to see as an investor is um, companies that are maybe starting in almost a wedge strategy of owning one part of the transaction and then expanding across to really be that like one-stop shop because it's not ideal. And we've heard like brokers don't want to have a long list of apps that they need to log into in order to do their job. Like ideally you get, you get down to one and uh, but, but that's hard to do. So I think there's always step functions to get there. Uh, It's not necessarily build the platform first. It's kind of, you need to start creating the data and building your own data set so people will come back to you. Right. It's kind of like a chicken and an egg thing, right? Yeah. Like like CoStar basically provides the inventory data as as their chicken or their egg, right? Like it's like it, it has to start with the availability whereas other companies like us might say like no, it actually starts with like the the tenants intent to lease space and the process that they need to run and you know that creates that like that nugget of demand that actually drives the marketplace. Do you think it's like feasible that like all of that like happens in one system? Like I was a broker for a decade. Yeah, it's it's a pain to have to log into multiple systems. But like, do you think there's there's a conflict there? Like if if the platform that is marketing the space is also controlling the demand for, for the tenant side of, of the market? I think that's why we're seeing players look at more of a marketplace model. And that's why kind of you, you remove some of the conflicts where the pricing is available. You can see the space, you can see the pricing and both sides can interact with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that model is interesting. Um, if it's also enabling the brokers to kind of still be the leader of the transaction because they still need to manage like expectations of both sides and uh, a lot of people maybe aren't as knowledgeable on kind of the details of the transaction or what kind of space they want. So I think that like a transparent marketplace is probably the ideal state that you would get to, but um, I think there's a lot of steps in between that still would add a lot of value. Yeah. Like, what do you think some of those steps are? I mean, if we just looked at it from the point of view of a tenant, like if you've been kind of like surveying brokers and corporates and landlords throughout the market from the point of view of a tenant, what do you think are like the burning problems that, you know, they need to solve? And you could use the, the post-COVID kind of return to work lens on that too. Yes. On the, like from the view of the tenant, I think a lot of these discussions right now are a little hypothetical. So not a lot of people have gone back to work yet. So people have existing space and they're trying to figure out what to do with it. 
And like from my discussions, what I've heard is adding value around now that you have a remote workforce, where do you put the next office? Like more advisory services. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if you do have this space or, or a current space, how do you redesign it so it kind of fits your needs now when only half your team's coming in and it's only for meetings on Mondays and Wednesdays or something? I think that that is probably what's most top of mind for people right now. And when people are tenants, specifically companies, a lot of people are talking about this hybrid model where they're going to enable people to come in or work from home. Um, some people are a little more flexible, less flexible. I, from the surveys, like we've seen surveys of what employees want, but the tenant doesn't necessarily know what its team is going to need yet. So I think that there's a lot of uncertainty as people will start going back of like, are people actually 90% going to be remote? Who knows? So I think that that's an opportunity right now for like a new type of product, which the broker could be this person because the space you have right now may not be the right space anymore. So I think that this is an area, it's, it's more advisory and I think it may not be directly just a strictly tech product yet, but I think that this is an area right now what people are talking about the most. Yeah, like, do you think it's like a moment in time or do you think like, you know, three years from now, everybody's used to going back to the office that this isn't a problem anymore? Too soon to still on that too, probably. Yeah, <laughs> I, I go back and forth on my views on what the future of it will be. I think like that I'm a little more pro office. I'm on that spectrum that I think there will be a need for an office in some capacity. And I think that um, it will make a big difference for companies to figure this out if they want to be kind of office first or remote first early on, because it really determines your hiring and your costs for startups. Like I I think having a, a remote and office culture is expensive because you need to do offsites with the full team. So that's travel and you're going to have rent. So when you're, we're thinking of early stage companies, I think we're seeing either they go remote first or maybe they, they do have an office culture where people need to be in maybe a couple days a week. But all of this, like the, the reason it matters right now is just how you hire and how have you been hiring for the past year? Yeah. And I think like for startups, that's a really hard problem to solve because you're, you're moving so fast and you're just trying to build and you need talent like immediately and you'll almost kind of take it wherever you can get it. So it would be hard to like be like a New York City based startup and just be like, we're only hiring people here in New York when, you know, COVID may have impacted people all around the country who are now looking for jobs and they're probably really highly qualified people. So like, why wouldn't you want to hire a remote ex Amazon like engineer or something in Seattle, you know, and from maybe from like Amazon's perspective, it's easier to say, Hey, we're going to put a headquarters in this city, that city or that city and just like attract people there. But that's a very interesting take because everybody wants to talk about like the theme of return to the office is the office dead? Like, is it hybrid? What's the model? I think it's impossible to actually, you know, paint every company with the same brush, right? Like every company is different. I mean, there are probably some companies that operate completely fine independently, like completely remote, and that's fine. But um, I tend to feel like that these are all problems that have been solved already in different economic cycles. Like we've gone through periods where, you know, like 2008, everyone was laid off, like companies had to figure out what to do with their office space, right? Like it's the same kind of the same thing that's happening now. It's just that technology has enabled people to work from their living room or their bedroom or a coffee shop much easier than it used to be able to. And is it just that people are getting used to being able to do one thing? And like, how does that change from company to company? I I agree with you. I think the office always still has a place. I think it's 
way too early to tell whether or not like there's going to be like this permanent kind of like macro trend away from offices. Agree. And I think one thing that's going to change, which maybe as, as you're talking to your customers too, is if they are in the office, you really need to have an office that's also a place that you can interact with remote people because the chances are that everyone's not going to be in. So um, it, the space may look different in that way. It almost is enabling remoteness when you're in there too. Yeah. And you see like pretty cool technology out there that are, are like these smart conference rooms and stuff where like people feel like they're in the room or you feel like somebody's in the room, but they're technically like on a screen. Those are interesting businesses from my perspective, because they enable the strategy to kind of withstand the way your company grows. Whereas like uh, being like 100% one way or the other, you know, you kind of just pigeonhole yourself into being either a remote company or a kind of headquarters type company. If we, if we kind of unpack the transaction a little bit more, do you ever see a, like a world where an office tenant searches for space online and signs a lease online without ever interacting with like a broker or their landlord? Maybe for very specific cases. As I mentioned before, if it's a large transaction, these are often pretty infrequent that you're signing leases. And there's the kind of complexity of like, I mentioned, like, where do you go? What type of space do you need? Uh, for most companies, like this is not someone's full-time job. <laughs> so <laughs> I think having that broker or someone to help you navigate this, take some of this off your plate and also ensure that you're kind of getting the best service and space for your company. I think there's going to still be a role for that. I can see certain companies maybe that have a very clear playbook already. So maybe they have some of these expertise in house where maybe, yes, they, they can do things in a more automated process, but it's because they have like a real estate person on their team, I would say that can kind of make some of these decisions. Yeah, I agree. I think like there's been a lot of companies that have tried to kind of automate that like lease signing and tenancy process for like the really small end of the market, right? Like the startup that has five people and has a very clear understanding of like their geography and their budget and they can figure it out by like Googling WeWork online or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I, I find it would be a difficult task to move up market on something like that. I'm interested to, to know kind of like the process that you personally go through when you're evaluating like a, a, a startup in this space, like it sounds like you must have to talk to a ton of people, right? <laughs> Just to kind of get like the, the anecdotal kind of experience of all the stakeholders in this business. Talk a little bit about like, you know, you're evaluating startup a, ABC for an, like a series A investment and they're going to tackle this, this space. Like what's your playbook for learning getting up to speed and like learning all the stakeholders and their problems? Yeah, we at Omer's Ventures, we take a very primary research approach where we like to come up with almost like a thesis in an area and our vision for the space and where we see it's going. So we kind of come with, come with a strong opinion when we're looking for, for investments. And to get there, it takes a lot of uh, conversations. So in this space specifically, I think the industry is very unique. Like one, as I mentioned, there is a lot of change going on. So for us, we, we like that because we invest in early stage companies, which change also results in opportunity. But for us, it's talking to a lot of brokers and there's a big range of there's the top five brokerages, but there's also a lot of smaller brokers out there with different, different needs. Um, the broker structure is also very interesting of their commission based, um, there's also kind of a, 
a hierarchy in a brokerage and different teams and how, how they structure it, which is fascinating because when you're looking at technology, you need to understand who's paying. Is it the brokers paying? Is it the brokerage that pays and shares the service with everybody? I think these types of dynamics are important um, when looking at the space. And then, like you mentioned, these three go-to-markets have also different players. So really figuring out what the tenant wants, what the landlord wants, and kind of how does how does it all align? And everyone, I would say, has maybe a little bit different view going forward. But what was clear here in all of our conversations is that it really comes down to the data. And the data is so important right now because it's difficult to access. Um, it's, it's very siloed. And I think that that is what people are focused on right now is how to make the data more accessible. Right, so no matter what stakeholder you talk to or the entrepreneur and the problem that they're trying to solve, really at the end of the day in commercial real estate, they're trying to make it easier for people to make decisions using data. So if there's a unique data set that's being built within a startup from a venture perspective, that's interesting because that's, that's your wedge strategy, right? Like, okay, these, these people are going into like this part of the life cycle of a lease or a commercial real estate asset. And they're starting to aggregate like really interesting data. How does a company then like take it to the next level? Um, do you have like examples of portfolio companies or investments that you've looked at have been kind of that like wedge strategy where it's like, okay, like we're fixing this workflow and, but like the end game is like, we're going to aggregate a ton of information. We're going to sell that back to our users. We're going to give other stakeholders access to it and become kind of an indispensable source of, of information. It's definitely the long game strategy for a lot of companies that we've talked to. Uh, I'm just thinking about in, in real estate overall, you're trying to make like transactions more efficient and that means that you're trying to either optimize your pricing, reduce vacancies if you're thinking on the landlord side. So I think all of, there's like a direct value of, of getting the data so that you can make better decisions say as a landlord. So once you've aggregated enough data, then you can decide like the best way to price your places or the best way to rent it out. And, and there's a clear probably ROI there, um, but you need a lot of data and a lot of pattern recognition to kind of figure that out. And I think what we've seen, like the residential side is also, I would say good at this too, of like really trying to compile the data to make better decisions. It's, it's definitely a strategy that a lot of companies have. I think the question now is, are you, are you collecting the, the most valuable data compared to the other players? So another example in real estate uh, where this is definitely the case of where the industry is today is construction. So can the construction industry, also very early stage technology adoption is relatively low to compared to other sectors. And we're seeing a lot of companies focus on data. So you may be getting photo data, video data of the job site. Um, maybe you you're tracking your supplies. Uh, you're tracking your people for the first time. Like there's so many different types of data that you can collect. And it, it is a similar wedge strategy of I'm gonna collect this data and then I'm kind of gonna create a platform, connect more data. So like this is your source of truth. And I think the question is which, like what will be that kind of like the data that you, you really need and, and how do you connect to the others? So I think that that's why for us, when we're looking at investments in real estate with this type of strategy, it really has to do with like what really stands out for us is a really strong product team. 
and product vision because this isn't easy to build and you're going to be constantly expanding, expanding your product with this longer term view. And it can be very distracting in these kind of lower tech adoption industries to continue on that path because there's lots of low hanging fruit that you could automate right now. But how do you kind of continue building towards that larger vision? Yeah, that's kind of like the ultimate question from a product development standpoint is, yeah, this might solve like this immediate need for this customer or this customer segment. But how does that tie to the broader vision of like what we're trying to achieve for the industry? That's certainly like one of the toughest things to solve for at a company, you know, trying to tackle, especially commercial real estate, where like to your point, it's such a like a, 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 a slow pace of adoption. Although, I mean, there's been a proliferation of prop tech over the last 10 years, call it in general, like, what do you make of the winners and losers in the space? Like there's just been so much money dumped into the, the space. And, and I think like, depending on your definition of prop tech, there seems to be like a pretty broad swath of, of companies that could be considered like, you know, prop tech or commercial real estate tech. How do you determine like who's a winner and like, who's a loser? It's hard. <laughs> I yeah. think it's, it's also time. I want you to have to call uh, anybody a loser. Like I, that's not what I meant, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think what we try to do is just is build opinions uh, or a thesis and we can be very wrong uh, because like we're all kind of predicting the future state, which isn't here yet. Uh, and, and as we kind of evidenced last year, lots of things can change. So um, like just one of our areas that we've learned and like a strong thesis we do have that kind of actually came from our residential work is that the agent isn't getting or the broker is not getting replaced. And I think when we entered the space, it, it makes a ton of sense why they would. And yeah. especially on the residential side, oh, technology will streamline this. And then you start to dig further and you, you see that that's not really working. And there is a reason why the brokers do exist in both places and even on the mortgage side too. So I think that this is an area where like we, we do have strong conviction of that and um, as we're looking at companies in the space, like ones that enable the broker, include them and how they're a big part of the transaction is pretty important. Yeah, I 100% agree. Like we just went through like the refinance process of our of our like mortgage. And oh. it was awesome because the bank that we borrowed money from had an awesome app experience where it was like, they were on top of it. Like they would hit you with a text. Hey, you have a document to sign, review, sign. It was in, you just open click the link, takes you into the app. You could view the document, e-sign it. It gave you kind of instructions of like what it was that you were signing. Like if I had to do that, like without either the guide of a mortgage broker or like a good technology platform, like you would be, I would just, I would be, I would probably quit the whole process. You'd just be like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. Or you'd just be like, this seems too risky to me. I don't know what I'm signing here. So yeah, like I, I think combination of good technology and like a good advisor, whether it's the mortgage or if it's, you know, finding your next home or leasing office space, like I'm glad you came to that conclusion because I think from the consumer standpoint, whether you're the head of real estate, whether you're the, the new family looking for the new house, like the experience that you go through in real estate is just generally painful. Like there's just so many unknowns and, and kind of like, you know, pitfalls. And if you don't have the right information or whatever, it's just like, it's impossible to navigate that stuff. It's just too much. So I, I agree that the, the broker is definitely here to stay. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, cool. Michelle, this has been great. Um, I appreciate you joining the podcast. Um, I, your points of view on this stuff are amazing. I think like as the world reopens and 
people actually start going back to the office and we start to test some of these theories and understand if you know some of the technology platforms are here to stay or or how the world shifts we should we should revisit this conversation like a year from now and figure out did we sound really dumb on this podcast or like were we actually making sense yeah i totally agree i like my my predictions are that we're going to see increased flexibility in the actual lease and more advisory service and hopefully more tech forward brokers yep we agree there awesome well michelle thanks so much for your time it's been great talking to you thank you matt have a good one.